Maybe you can get your phone out, and if you've got a notes app uh, or something that you can type onto, then I'm going to ask you to open up that app, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to type in a couple of numbers on your phone, all right? So if you've got a phone, get that app out, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to type in the year in which you were born, right? It's a long time ago for some of us, Edie. And for others of us, it wasn't that long ago. So type in the year that you were born. And, um, and then what I want you to do is put a dash. And then after that, put 20. And then put a question mark. A question mark, okay? Because A question mark because that's the year pretty much that your life is going to stop, right? And we don't know when that's going to be. Um, I don't think any of us here are probably going to make it to 21-something. I think we've probably all got our lifespan here in the, in the 20th, 21st century, so 20-something. Okay, so um, I've, I've done it on the screen here for uh, just, just, that's my year of birth, 1969. What a great year. Good red wines in that year. They landed on the moon in that year. It was the last year of the 60s, so I'm, I just made it to the swinging 60s. Uh, oh, that word swinging is not a word that we want to use probably. Okay, so 1969 is the year that I was born and uh, 20, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know and, and really, this is the deal for most of us, isn't it? Um, every one of us has these years. We have these dates. Uh, uh, it's kind of a mystery. Like in that year of 1969, there was a specific day that I remember pretty well Every year when that day comes around, and that day is the day of my birth, the 12th of January, which is in a couple of, couple of days' time. And so uh, we all have that day, and we, and we celebrate that day. Now, every one of us also has these second, uh, the second date that's going to come our way, the this, this second big year which will occur in our life. And we don't like to think about this one very much, but it's coming, right? It's coming. And just like you had no control over the first date, yeah? Nobody asked you if you wanted to be born. Nobody asked you which day you wanted to be born on. It's like, you know, ready or not, you came. And so too, you don't have much control around this second date either. But what is yours is that little thing in the middle. That little dash, isn't it? That little dash is yours. You get to decide what you're going to do with your dash. It's a dash. What are you going to do with your dash? Like I said, the years seem to be going by so much more quickly and so much faster. Just this last week, my eldest son, Adam, said to me, he said, Dad, in a week's time, I'm going to be 21. And I, I almost started crying. I just, I thought, 21, how is that possible? You know, it was just yesterday that I was holding you in my hands, a freshly squeezed baby. You know, like, you know, the years just, the years have just shot by so fast. And, and, and we only have that little dash between those dates. We just have that little dash. There's a wonderful verse in, in Psalm 90 where Moses says this to God. He says, Teach us, God, to number our days. Teach us to number our days. And I think he, he says that because we don't really know how to do that well. Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. What, what Moses was saying to God there was, God, help us use our life in a way that really matters, in a way that counts, 
You see, because God wants all of our little dashes to be part of his great, big, eternal story. He wants to incorporate our little dashes into his eternal plan. That's why he sent Jesus. You know, often in the New Testament, um, you, you find this, this image of a door, and it's, it's used as a metaphor. It's, uh, the image of a door is used as a, as a metaphor for opportunity or for possibility. And in one of the great images in the Bible, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in prison. He was chained up in a cell in a prison, a first century prison. Can you imagine the horror of that? And he didn't know how much longer that little dash was going to last. You know, that dash, he, he, for him, it was probably going to come to an end soon. But, but he, he, he prayed this uh, in Colossians chapter 4. He, he writes to the people and he says, he says, pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that God would open a door for us to tell others about Jesus, this message that I've been sharing, this message for which I've been locked up and put in a prison cell and chained up. He says, pray for an open door. Pray for that opportunity. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly. This mystery, this, this gospel, this news of Jesus. As clearly as I should. And so the door, it, it's a picture here of the opportunity or the possibility to spread the good news of Jesus. And Paul says, pray that God would open a door. So only God can open a door. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's quite moving when you think about a man who's chained up in a cell, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be living for. He doesn't know when he's going to die. His little dash could end at any day. But he says, pray for me. Pray, pray not for my survival. Don't pray for my safety. Don't pray that I'd be released from prison. No, just pray for God to open a door for me to share the message of Jesus. Come on, just pray for open doors, open doors. God, give me an open door. Give me another open door. That was Paul's prayer. I want to get a little bit personal here this morning. Um, because only you really know the state of your dash. Only you know how many years have passed by on that dash. I, I actually, uh, Dion posted a thing in a little chat about this guy who was, uh, it was such a great thing. I put it on my Facebook page. And it's a guy who takes a 100 centimeter tape. And he, he, um, he, uh, he cuts off the average length of, of a male's life, which is 75, and a female is 80-something. But he cuts it off there, and uh, then he, he cut off how many years you've lived so far, and then that little bit of tape what was, was what remained. And so, you know, we all... Are you following me? Do you understand what I'm, I'm, I'm making? I'm talking English, speaking, you understand? So we all, we all have a little dash, and you, you know the state of your dash. You know how many years have, you've got on the clock. You don't know how many you've, you've, you've got, but you know, I don't know what you've asked God for. I've asked God for 86 years of life. Have you asked God? Like, I, think, I think we can make all requests known. And I've said, Lord, I think 86 good years for me would be a, would be a great thing. If by your grace I get to live longer, that's fantastic. But I'm asking for 86, you know, I'm just, I'm putting it out there. So, um, you know, I, I don't have all that much time left and I don't know what your time is. But at the start of another year, 
you know, if you look at that dash, what is your vision? What, what's the vision for that dash? How do you see this year going? How do you see future years going? What are your hopes? What are your plans? What doors do you think God wants you to walk through? In fact, we could probably ask the same question for our church. Because the dash of our church started three years ago in 2020. You know, I don't know how long this dash is going to go for. Hopefully it lives beyond my life. But what's the vision for the dash of our church? What's the vision for the life of this church? So I thought, let's start our thinking this morning with a, with, a, with, a, with a good question. And the question that I have for you to start your thinking this morning is, here's the question. What do you think is the most dangerous object in your home? Yep, I know, you're looking at me. What? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird question, but just go with me here. What do you think is the most dangerous object in your home? I did a little bit of internet research this last week, and uh, the internet actually reveals a lot of interesting facts, and it says that a lot of people get injured each year in their homes by kitchen knives. So kitchen knives are really dangerous in some homes. A lot of people also get injured by um, power tools, you know, saws and drills and things. Some people get hurt by ladders. Other people get hurt by electric blankets. And, you know, even pillows can dangerously, <laughs> you know, it can, be, can, it can be dangerous for people. It could, it could injure them. I don't, I don't know how that happens, but, but pillows can be dangerous. So I want you to turn to the person next to you just for a moment. I want us to have a bit of conversation here this morning, and I want you just to have a quick chat about what the, the most dangerous object is in, in your home or what you think the most dangerous object is in your home. Just humor me here this morning. What's the most dangerous object in your home? <clears throat> okay, let's, uh, what did you come up with? Any, any, any ideas? Gas. Gas. Okay, gas. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's good. Any others? Uneven flooring. Uneven flooring. Ooh, that could be pretty. That could be pretty dangerous. Yes, yes. And I, I imagine, I imagine the shorter your dash gets, the more dangerous an uneven floor becomes. Electric carving knife. <laughs> Any others? Electricity. <laughs> yes, that's that powers a lot of these things that are dangerous, right? De a dog. <laughs> they got a poodle. We got a miniature schnauzer. I know exactly what you're saying, Billy. Dangerous. <laughs> Dean. A gas stove. Yeah, absolutely. My wife said a TV. <laughs> Lance. Lego. <laughs> Lego, yes. <laughs> yeah. Woo. I don't know. I don't know. Like if. if <laughs> I don't even want to go there. Okay. All right. Okay. So. Here's, here's what I think is the most dangerous object in, in your home. This, 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 is, a, this is a chair. It's an, it's an easy chair, right? And, and we often go and buy chairs like this, not necessarily for the way they look, but really we buy them for their comfort, don't we? And again, in my internet research this last week, uh, I found that Apparently, Australia's favorite recliner chair is called a lazy boy. A lazy boy. Not a risky boy. Not a worker boy. A lazy boy. 
And people buy them so that they can be immersed in comfort, right? Like this guy. You see, when you sit in a chair like this, you don't just sit, you recline, right? You recline. And, and, and there's a special kind of food that people like to eat when they're in a comfortable chair like this. It's called comfort food. Yeah? They love it. And if you're sitting or reclining in a chair like this, you've got to be watching something, right? I mean, most of the time, chairs like this or sofas like this are positioned in front of a screen, a TV screen. It's always in front of a TV screen. And... Um, there's that little gadget to change channels. In the, in, in the old days, um, I remember in the country of my birth, the very first television we got was a black and white one. Not color, black and white. And you had to actually get out of the chair to change the channel. You had to get out of the chair to switch it on or off. But, you know, thankfully, God invented the remote control. And so now you can change channels as you please, as God intended. And so, you know, we've, we've gotten dependent on these little remote things. Um, you know, if you want to see something ugly in a household, just watch what happens when somebody misplaces one of these remote controls. <laughs> it can get ugly, man. <laughs> in fact, these days, I think you can actually get your phone and you can control the thing through, through your phone. Okay, so, so here's a question. Here's a question. Does this guy over here look like somebody who's ready to spring into action? Does this guy look like somebody who's poised for a season of explosive growth and development? Is this guy someone who's ready to sacrifice himself? If God had to ask this guy to do a very difficult thing, does it look like he's ready to say, yes, Lord, I'll go? I'm not so sure. You know, I don't know about this picture, but, but is, it, is it representative of what life is supposed to be about? Because that's what we're told life is supposed to be about, right? It's supposed to be about getting free from stress and challenges and making yourself as comfortable as possible. That's what this picture is telling us. I'll tell you what I think is so dangerous about this chair. Or, or what's so dangerous about a life that's revolved around comfort? What's dangerous is not the stuff that you do while you're in the chair. It's the stuff that you don't do when you're in it. When life is all about your own pleasure, when life is all about your own comfort, about what you want to do and nothing else, a lot of stuff never gets done. It's the relationships that you never deepen. It's the people that you never serve because you never see them. Right? You just don't go there. You don't, you don't know how much they need God or how much they might need you. When you're in that zone of comfort and that's all you're seeking for in your life, it's the great prayers that you never pray. It's the spiritual conversations. You know those bold conversations when your heart's thumping that you never have. It's the gifts that you never give. It's the spiritual gifts that you never exercise. It's the spiritual battles that you never fight. It's the victories that you never win. It's the tears that you never weep. It's the open doors that you never walk through. Folk, we were made for something more. We were made for something bigger. 
We were made for something better than life in a chair. We were made for something way more important than a life of comfort. But we're living in a world, we're living in a society, we're living in a culture that says, the chair is it. The chair is it. This is what you want. This is what you need to go after. This is what you want to work for. This is what you want to buy. That's what the world tells us. All the messaging of the world beams at us, at, at us every day. But the reality is that the chair is the most dangerous thing in your home. And the chair can become the most dangerous thing in a church like ours. The chair. We were made for something more. God has called us to something beyond just a little life here and now. God's called us to a much bigger picture. And so too much comfort can be lethal. <laughs> it can be destructive. You know, it, it feels wonderful in the moment. Your body's like, oh, this is nice. But if that's what your life is about, it'll end up killing you. It, it'll, it'll kill your soul. And you know what it does for a church? It stops a church from walking through open doors. In, in the last book of the Bible, uh, John is instructed to write uh, letters to seven churches. And there's a fabulous picture in one of, one of the letters of an open door where the church is told what God opens, right? And this is in Revelation chapter 3. This is to the church in Philadelphia. So John is instructed by God to write these words to this church. And so God says to the church, you know, uh, John says, these are the words of him. He's talking about God. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Here's what God does. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And God says to this church, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you've got little strength, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Only God can open the door. And then God says to this church, he says, Church, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And so God's telling this church, go through, go through, go through. Take the opportunity. There's possibility beyond this. Go through. Now, another church that one of these letters is written to um, has a problem going through that door. And it, it was a community called Laodicea. And it's very interesting because Laodicea was a very affluent uh, community. Gifted people, well-resourced people. The congregation and the church had people filled with, you know, they had all they needed. And so this church gets addressed in one of these, one of these letters in Revelation. And they... They had, humanly speaking, all these resources, more than any other church. And John tells us what they said about that. John says in Revelation 3, he says, he says, here's what you're saying. Here's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm rich. I've made it, man. I've acquired the wealth. I don't need a thing. That's what John says. This is, this is your view. This is, this is your attitude. I've, I've got it all. You know, I've, I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But then John says to them, or God says to them through John, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say in Laodicea, 
I'm rich. I've, I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. So what this church had done is they'd, they'd bought the chair. They'd bought the chair and they'd bought a flat screen TV and they weren't going anywhere. And so God speaks to this church and God says to them in Revelation chapter 3, 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I need this in my life. Quite often, I need, I need the disciplining of God. And I know that God loves me, and I need God's correction in my life. And so God says to this church, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So here's what God says. He says, be earnest and repent. Turn from, turn from what's got your focus away from me. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with them and they with me. Folk, God has given each of us a door, a key to the door of our heart. Each of us has got a key to the, the door. Everyone, every one of us. And what I mean by a key to the door is that we've got a key to open that door to what, whatever it is that we devote our hearts to. Whatever it is that we worship, we open our, our door, our heart's door to that. And, and what Scripture is telling us over here is that no one can, can, can open that door. No, no, no dictator, no boss, no charismatic leader, no matter who they are, nobody can force open the door of your heart. And not even God himself will, open, will force open that door. I mean, that, that's a little bit of, of what it means to be made in the image of God. God has given you a door. And when you open that door to God, God's going to walk through that door. But when you shut that door to God, God himself won't force that door open. And so humbly, the picture here is of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And he says, if you open the door of your heart to me, I'll come in. And so this is not a door of mission or of calling or of impact. This is the door of our heart. And this is what really matters. It's, it's 2024. And the vision that really matters, you know, so much gets written about vision and spoken about vision. But, but the vision that really matters is not a vision about the future. It's not a vision about what we're going to do. In fact, it's not a vision about us at all. The vision that matters is our vision of God and what a good God God is. That's the vision that matters. That's the vision that matters for your dash. Your vision of God and what a good God He is. What a good person He is. That's the vision that matters. That's what should grip us. That's what should delight us. That, should, that is what should captivate us. How good God is. How good a person God is. How blessed I am to be his son. How blessed I am to be called his child. How blessed I am to be able to partner with him in his purposes on this earth. How blessed I am to be called his friend. How blessed I am to be called of him to, 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 to bring good news to a lost and hurt and dying world. He comes to the door of your heart and my heart. And you, and, and, and you might notice here in Revelation, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church because what's happened in this church at Laodicea is they've kind of, they've, they've kind of shut him out. 
They've shut God out because they've got comfortable in the chair. <sighs> what's on the next channel? That's what's happened. And Jesus comes and he knocks on the door. And he knocks on the, the door of our heart because his plan for us is for us to be so full of God. His plan for us is to be so filled with his spirit. His plan for us is to be living in the vision of God so deeply that it just flows out of our lives. It just comes out of us. We're so full of God. That's the plan of Jesus. And, and, and in Laodicea, that vision got lost. This vision of life and the sufficiency of God. I'm going to try and explain here what happens, you know, um, because this happens in the journey of many Christians. Very often, you know, they, they come to God and they get gripped by God. <laughs> they give their life to God. They, they, they're on fire for God. You know, uh, someone somewhere gets gripped by a vision. And there's many great examples. Think of the Apostle Paul or St. Francis of Assisi or John Wesley or, or Mother Teresa, right? They get gripped by a vision, but it's not a vision about, of what they're going to do. It's not a vision of the future that they're going to create. It's not a vision of human activity at all. It's a vision of the goodness of God and God's kingdom. They get gripped by that. And so out of that grows this deep sense of humility. Because it's all about God. And repentance and gratitude. And a desire to do good things for God. And so then what happens in the life of somebody like this, like, a Francis or a Paul or a John or a Teresa is God uses them. God uses them. And extraordinary things happen because they're just on fire for God. But their fire is about God. Their fire is about how good God is. It's not about what they're going to do. They're just on fire. And so when you're filled with God and God fills your life and you, every day you're waking up and you're saying, Spirit, fill me again because as I step out today, I want God's purposes to prevail. I want God front and center in my life. And so when you're filled with that, you begin to dream with God. Like, what can we do? Because it's about you and it's about your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. But then, here's, and here's where the problem comes in. This intense devotion to God, this, this being on fire for God, what often happens is it lands to bring about results. Sometimes substantial success because of it. And then what happens is that some people begin to look at those results. And then the focus begins to shift away from God and His goodness to on what we're doing, to how we're succeeding, to our results. To our goals, to our mission. It's, it's no longer God. It's about, oh, look, look, look what we're doing or, or, or look what's been done. And so <laughs> you see this, and I've seen this just in these last couple of years and with some Christian church leaders of mega churches around the world. And, and, and you can see where they've lost the vision of God and they've begun to focus on their success. And it's not only Christian pastors, it's Christians in business. It's Christians pursuing a career. I'm sure we can think of people, all of us can think of people who we've seen this kind of thing happen in, in, in their life. And so the mission replaces the vision. The mission of what we're doing replaces the vision of what a good God God is. And so we get preoccupied. Not with how good God is. Not with how blessed I am to be with God. No, no. 
I get preoccupied with strategies and techniques. I get preoccupied with methodologies and programs and numbers and goals. And that's what becomes the focus of my life. And you know what happens when that becomes the focus? You know what happens when that becomes the focus? Pressure, 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 more pressure, more pressure, more, 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 more. And you can feel it. You can feel it in churches. You can, you can feel it in organizations and all kinds of places. And then what, what was once freedom and joy and abandon and risking for God gets replaced by stress and fatigue and burnout and the chair starts to look really good. And the only solution is to come back to the door of my heart because it's the love of God and it's only the love of God that's going to secure the vision of God. It's the love of God. It's, the, it's the lo my love for God which is going to secure and guard and protect the vision of God for my life and for the lives of those around me and my purpose on this earth. It's, it's only the love of God. I don't have to be the vision. We don't need to be the vision. The goals that we set, and yes, goals are, are important. They're good things. But the goals that we set are God's business to achieve, not ours. All that we need to do is we need to do the very best that we can. And so we work hard. We might even work self-sacrificially. But we don't sit back in the chair. We work hard, but we don't carry the load. Because God, it's about you. You're front and center. And if this is what you want, you're going to make it happen. I'm not going to focus on, on how to make it happen because I love you. And you've got a plan for me. And I don't know how long this little dash is, but I'm going to keep you in my life. You're going to be the front and center. You, I'm going to be guided by your spirit. And so these things, Lord, if it's your will for them to prevail, then it's going to prevail. If it's not, then it's not. But I'm not going to get distracted on this stuff. And you know something? I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your plan is for 2024. But I'll tell you this. this is, that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. He says, he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And it's a difficult thing for a Christian to get their head around. That our lives should not be an object of deep concern. Because we know what a good thing it is to abandon our lives to the care of God. It's the love of God that will secure the vision of God. The love of God that will secure the vision of God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, well, how do I love God? Just start thinking about this amazing truth that God loves you. God loves you. This wonderful God, this God that we read about in the Bible, this mysterious, all-powerful, holy God loves you. He loves you. And that's what you need to do. You need to think about that. You need to let your mind go back to that again and again and again. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. You see, you see what happened with, with the Apostle Paul and with, with Francis of Assisi and, and with John Wesley and, Teresa and uh, Mother Teresa, many others like them, is that they were just slain by that. He loves me. He loves me. And so their minds went to the goodness of that and they began to delight in the fact that God loved them. And when you begin to delight in the fact that God loves you, you know what happens? People begin to get out of their chairs and they begin to say, God, open a door, open a door. 
I want to do something for you. Open a door, Lord. Open a door. Because they get consumed with the love of God in their lives. And so my challenge for all of us at the start of another new year, if you're part of this church, I want to ask you to pray open door prayers. Open door prayers. Where you're just praying, God, would you open doors in my life? Open doors, Lord, every day. God, there's somebody that I'm concerned about who doesn't know you. Would you open a door for me to reach that person or speak to that person? Or there's some spiritual opportunity. God, would you open a door? If there's something that you want me to do, God, would you open a door? God, would you open a door in my life? Would you open doors for our church? Would you open doors for the people in this church, people that I'm in spiritual community with? God, open doors for them in their workplaces, in their schools, in their families, in their marriages. Let's pray those kinds of prayers. Let's pray those kinds of prayers and let's see what God does. Let's pray those kinds of prayers. Even when we're in difficult situations, let's pray those kinds of prayers. Paul was the example for us, sitting in that first century cell in chains. And he's saying, don't pray for me to be released. Pray for doors to open for the message of Jesus to go into the world. Folk, I want to encourage you, don't fall for the message of this world that everything is about our comfort. Don't fall for that message. Let's not, let's not lose our passion and our, our love for God by getting distracted by goals and results. Let's fall for the message from the one who's standing knocking at the door of our hearts. Let's open that door. Because he will take care of the mission as long as he remains our vision. As long as our focus is on him. So I want to encourage you, don't get too comfortable in a chair. Don't let the comfort of life be your main concern. Get out of the chair and go with his vision for your life and for your marriage and for your family and for your church. Go with a vision, his vision, for the dash that he's given to you. However long or however short that dash might be. And that vision is a vision of the goodness of God and his kingdom. Go after that. Go after that. Delight yourself in his word this year. Delight yourself in his love. I promise you, I promise you, you'll be astounded by what God does. You'll be astounded. And I'm, I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to place a bet on that. You'll be astounded by what God will do in your life if you seek him first, if you seek his kingdom first, if he's front and center in your life.